Welcome to Wisco Dice. I am your host, the Conzie with the Most, and I am joined here today by... Hey everybody, it's Justin, the Meeple's Champion here. Hey, and this is Suzanne. And this is episode 86 of the Wisco Dice Tabletop Gaming Podcast. Today is October 27th, 2021. On today's episode, we'll cover our gift-giving hot guide for 2021. And on our hobby corner, we'll catch up on our miniature painting and hobby projects that we have been working on. But first, let's dive into what games we have been playing. Woo! Wow. Tons, All of right. energy, tons of energy I, today. I Love said, it. let's yeah. get excited for this. <laughs> and a little bit of caffeine today, huh, Cohen's Eve? Maybe. That's <laughs> what happens when I'm not home to monitor. All right. So one of the fun games that we, uh, Cozy and I, received when we went to Gen Con this year was Whirling Witchcraft by uh, AEG. So... This is a, a very new game that AEG has out. It takes about 30 minutes to play, and you play from anywhere with, with anywhere from two to five people. So it is definitely a fall Halloween-y themed game that you can play any time of the year. You're going to play as a witch, casting spells with magical ingredients. Uh, during the game, you need to choose your recipes so that you can clear your workbench and fill up your cauldron with these wonderful potions you've created. As these cauldrons are filled, you pass them on to your neighbor, who then has to take whatever ingredients you've given them, fill up their workbench, and if they can't, uh-oh, they send it back to you, and those uh, are kind of like points that you earn that way, and once you get four ingredients given back to you, you win. So it's a... Uh, Kind of a simple concept, but you need to be paying attention to what you're going to be getting past and what you're passing on to someone else and plan out which recipes you're going to keep and how you're going to uh, use them. So I think all three of us have played this together a couple of weeks ago. So the best part about this game is you get to put on your inner witch and go, Yes, I will get you, my pretty! <laughs> As you completely try to force as many ingredients at your neighbor to your right. But what's crazy, what I find really awesome with this game, is you're constantly having to pay attention to what your neighbor to your left is passing you. Because you don't want your board state on your board to get overloaded and in order for you to overload your opponent to your right you need to be picking the right spells to be able to utilize the things that are getting dumped on your board from the player to the left that is such a unique mechanic in this game and the fact that it plays super fast you can go through it two three games it's a great filler game it's I've, everybody we've played it with seems like they've really enjoyed it. It's been exciting. It's been fun. This is a great game, and I can see why a lot of people are talking about Whirling Witchcraft right now. Yeah, I, I really like this game. It uh, plays really fast, and so you can get a couple of plays of it in. I mean, we, we maybe played two or three in less than an hour. Yeah, it was like three plays in less yeah. than an hour. Yeah, um, the like like Ben said, it has some really unique mechanics. 
and there is high player interaction. So it's really fun to 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 kind of anticipate what the player in, before you is going to be doing, so that you can use that use those ingredients appropriately, and then pass along to the kind of your opponent, who is your neighbor on your right, as he mentioned. Real fun, fast playing. Really enjoyed this one. I'd play this anytime. Great game. And that leads us to our next game, Tiny Towns, from also from AEG. It's kind of kind of like we're having our own AEG play play uh, recap here as part of today's show. This game plays for between thirty and forty five minutes. This is uh, it's for up to two to uh, from anywhere from two to six players. Although I honestly think it plays best when you have more players, but it plays just fine. Suzanne and I have played it at two players a few times, and we've enjoyed it quite a bit. We did get to play it most recently at Game Hole Con here in Madison, Wisconsin, as part of our board game brunch. So if you want to see pictures of that and how how that went down, you can go ahead and check our blog at wiscodice.com for that article on board game brunch. But basically in the game, it is a game of town building where your tiny little forest critters are trying to build this amazing little town that they can all live in. Each round, a master builder takes the role of calling out one of the building materials. You can imagine things like brick and wood and stone and glass that you're using to build these structures. And you're going to place those those components on one of the uh, little spaces on the your little player board grid. And when you match, the materials match a pattern uh, for one of the various buildings that are being played within the game. And these buildings can be changed up from game to games to give you a whole lot of variety and replayability. Then uh, you can uh, place that. Now, when that master builder does call it, that means everybody in the game has to take that material, by the way. I think I skipped that piece. Um, so you're you're constantly getting these materials, and when you make match these patterns, you're able to construct buildings, and then the master builder rotates. Uh, every time a new material is called, then it'll just, you know, everybody's placed it, it'll rotate to the next person, and goes around the table until finally, uh, when it gets to be a point where a player is not able to place anything further on their board, uh, either as a material or a building. They have to pass. They're out for the rest of the game. And play will continue until all players are passed. Once that's done, you tally up the score. And there's this amazing thing called victory points. I'm not sure if anybody's ever heard of that out here in the world of games. But whoever has the most victory points at the end of the game wins. That is Tiny Towns. Honestly, I think this game's a blast. It's a hoot. I'm really glad that Justin introduced it to Suzanne and I a while ago. I think we went out fairly shortly after that and went out and purchased it to add it to our collection. We've bought all the expansions. We've played them all. It's it's a great, fun, lighter game. And not only fits that filler role, but it's great to play with. Actually, I don't know if we've played this with our teenager or not, but I can see this being a great family game as well uh, because it doesn't take that huge time period or is super meaty when it comes to rules so you can teach it and get it to the table quickly and effectively yeah this this is a good family game i've played this with my younger daughter and it is easy enough that a younger kid can play it but there is enough thinking that you can do to really puzzle out how to best place your resources on your game board to get as many buildings as you can and get the most points out of it that Someone who is really into board games can enjoy it as well. Two things I really like about this game, the 
building cards uh, come in, in a small deck, and you can, as Ben mentioned, change which buildings are in the game each time, which can be just a whole different set of buildings that are available with different ways of scoring. So great replay replayability. And then the other fun thing is when you are the master builder, you get to call out a certain resource that everybody in the game has to take. And if you take a look at other players' boards and say, see that, oh, nobody can use brick except me, you call brick every time and really mess up everybody else's boards. So there's some fun player interaction with there too. Yeah, I will say with this game, you can start with a plan based on what buildings you think are going to get you the net you the highest score. But you have to stay flexible because, as Justin said, someone can see that you can't use brick and they will just keep calling brick until, you know, your whole board is full of it. So I wouldn't consider it a light game. I know Ben mentioned that it's a light game. For me, it's definitely one of those that you need to think and plan and kind of stay on your toes to react uh, with what materials you have and how you can use them best but it is definitely a great game a fun game to play has a lot of replayability and in most gaming sessions you can get a couple rounds in just to average who the best player is you know it's a good two out of three type game yeah we we played it three times at game Con in a two-hour window with Two plays were with six, and one play was at, with it four players. So it definitely, you can pack in several plays in a very short amount of time and have very unique plays. It was very interesting to see that we had to, our first play was kind of a blowout win at Gamehole Con. The second play was a blowout win with completely different winners both times. Like I think the person who won the first time was dead last the second time. And then uh, the third, there that third play, everybody's score was really close. It was a very tight game, so you could see how people were starting to really figure out the game. They were making better decisions about where to place things. They were paying more attention. Maybe it was because it was four players too. So they were able to pay more attention to what mm -hmm. everybody was doing and and start to pick up on. Oh, they're trying to build these type of buildings. Well, I should probably build that too. I will just say that last game, three of you were close. One of us, me, was way behind in the score. You were not that far behind. You <laughs> were like points. five points. No, like the top score was like 25 points in that game. You couldn't have been 20 so, points behind. You were like um, five points behind. I was at 17. But anyway, on to other things. It was not my best game. <laughs> I will say one thing that was amazing is being part of playing this game at AG Big Game Night at Gen Con. That particular game, I don't know how many people are in the room. I swear they said something like 500. I don't know. But it was the crazy biggest game of of this that you could have ever seen and or that I'm sure even AG has probably just about seen. And what's cool is with multiple copies of this game, you can have everyone... You could easily expand this to 12 players, 18 players, just by adding additional copies. You might want to, you'll want to replace the master builder with the card. They actually have cards that come in the game that you can flip uh, that represent the materials. And then you just kind of go through the deck and then shuffle it back up and start it over again. But it's very easy to scale this to larger groups. Cool. Can't remember you guys uh, mentioning that you did that. That sounds awesome. I don't know that we did. I think it was one that got 
left off of our. Yep. It was fun. It was just can... we did a lot. I was going to ask how the master builder got around to all five hundred people in time. But... <laughs> yep. No, yeah. They, they <laughs> removed. They removed that, and they removed the uh, whatever that special, the monument building. They removed that. Right. Other than that, it's. You know, tiny towns at 500 yeah. people or 400 people or 300 people, however many people were in that room. It was huge. It was so crazy. Yeah. Not so tiny towns. No, definitely not. There's a lot of little towns in that one big room. Yeah, there was. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, anyways, you, for details about all these games, make sure you check out whiskodice.com for links to all these games that we just discussed. Now, for... With that being said, let's dive into our hobby corner where we talk about our miniature and tabletop hobby gaming projects that we've been working on. And I will go ahead and get us started with a commission painting project that I have taken on. So I think I said maybe even as soon as the recently as the last episode of the podcast that I don't do commission painting. And uh, but we did have a fan of the show, uh, David Groves, reach out to me and ask me if I would paint a few figures for him. And, well, I found it very hard to say no, so I took on this project. And I've actually really enjoyed it. It's just it's a, a couple of D&D characters for an up upcoming Dungeons & Dragons game he's going to be playing in. So there's a, a tiefling, I think, warlock model, and a, a human druid model. And and then I uh, his friend is going to be running uh, as the uh, as a dungeon master in either this game or a different game and so there's a, a tiefling model that he wanted painted up like a lich and then there's a dwarven barbarian uh, with a couple of hammers that I uh, had to actually acquire for him off of a Etsy store and, and I'm painting that up as well so there's I mean it's a four figure commitment I think the whole thing is going to the whole project will have taken me a month to complete uh, I'm doing a, all of these at a fairly upper level of my skill capability anyways, and I'm hoping that he'll really enjoy these and that they will bring special memories for uh, a long time for him and his wife and uh, in these games, in these upcoming D&D games that he's playing in. So that said, I'm I'm not looking forward to taking on any more commission painting projects because I feel so much pressure doing this. It's... I'm so nervous and worried that the finished pieces of art are going to be pieces of art that somebody is going to really enjoy. But uh, coming off that project I did for uh, Sean and our D and D group, and now these, it's I'm not any I'm not those nerves are definitely not settling down. So I'm glad I, I'm I'm not actively trying to take more commission projects. <laughs> I uh, let mentioned last time that I was working on painting some of the hunting horrors from mansions of madness second edition so i've got a question what do you do what do you want to start over on a mini that you've started painting i'll say that this project is not going well for me i had some big ideas of how i wanted these to look and maybe just not enough planning i slapped a lot of paint on them i was looking to you know kind of get these these really specific color combinations and I am not happy with them. They're not turning out how I want it. So, you know, I'll, I'll take any advice you have, Ben. Uh, do you reprime? Do you keep going with the colors and just kind of finish it off? What's what's your approach? I'm, uh, you know, I, I'm fairly new to painting, as you guys know. So, what do you do when you when you get to this point of I am not happy with this? 
you, there are a couple of things. This is a very good question, and I'm glad you asked it. The thing that you have to be probably most concerned with is the level of detail that is on the model. Now, I think these mm-hmm. models in particular, the detail, like the models in Mansions of Madness are really cool, right? But the detail is not the same thing as if you purchased uh, a highly detailed, like those those Dungeons and Dragons models that I just got done talking about that are, these are all WizKids models. The detail is actually quite high in a very small area, right? The, yeah, the, these Mansions of Madness models seem soft, I guess, in terms of their the definition on, on the models. The depth of features isn't there, maybe. So yeah, I think the detail isn't isn't as high as other like the other stuff that I've worked on a little bit. Yeah. Yep. You're seeing that. So the reason I bring that up is because you could just go back to prime throwing another primer coat on. But when you throw primer coats on, they tend to be thicker layers and you start to lose more detail. Right? But if a model mm-hmm. didn't have very good detail to begin with, or the detail is very sharp and drastic you're pretty safe being able to do that what most miniature hobbyists do is they use a product like simple green cut with water and soak the model for about 24 hours and then use like an old toothbrush to just kind of scrub off any remnants chips and whatever and then give it a good rinse and start over from scratch that's generally what a lot of miniature painters do. In fact, I keep, and Suzanne will attest, I have typically have at least a gallon of simple green on hand, which I've actually have not stripped a miniature in a long time. I typically still have a, a gallon of simple green on hand that I use for, I have used in the past for stripping miniatures, but I've also used for a bunch of other little little projects within the hobby space. So if you're looking for a, a a way to strip the miniature back to pretty much bare plastic, that's probably the easiest way to do it and the most environmentally friendly way to do it before you'd go ahead and reprime. The biggest thing is then you got to make sure that you give it a good rinse of water and then and then let it dry out before you try to reprime it. Sure. Yeah, well, that sounds like the path I may have to take here. One of them got a little further along than the other, and I think there's enough paint on that. I probably would lose some definition too much if I uh, just tried to reprime. So any chance that could damage the plastic of the model at all? No. As long as you water down the simple green about 50 50 to 60% water, you should be fine. Like simple green as a simple green as a uh, product is, is not corrosive. I wouldn't if you're going to leave it in the, in this for a week or two weeks, then you might start seeing some some problem, but over uh, over the course of a, if if you stick with the twenty four hours or or less, you and then brush it, give it a good brushing with a toothbrush, you're not going to have any problems. Cool. Well, thank I mean, you for that recommendation. Yeah, I I will uh, I'll try to go that direction and give an update when I'm able to start over on these guys. They may have to be end end up being a uh, Finished by Christmas instead of Halloween, as I was hoping. <laughs> I, I will say that back in the day when miniatures were pretty predominantly metal, you could use a lot more harsher products like actual paint thinner, or I actually used acetone for a while on for stripping mm. miniatures. 
that I had painted that were metal, but uh, the plastics, Simple Green is is a great product for that, at least in my experience. And don't job. ask me what the international version of Simple Green is. I know it's Simple Green is easily readily available here in the U.S. Awesome. Doesn't smell all that bad either. Yes, you don't end up with a, a really stinky. bad stinky house. <laughs> yeah. So like, yeah, you don't have to worry about venting too much or anything like that. So I don't know what it's called anywhere else either. It's environmentally friendly. So yeah, it's you can it's use supposed it to be like all natural or whatever. <laughs> yeah, you can use it around your dogs and your babies according to their website. So. All right. Yeah, see? Perfect. <laughs> Good deal. <laughs> <laughs> but, well, there you go, you know? But that's got to be tough having to start over on those, Justin. I think, yeah, I, I, it it's fine, you know? It's one of those lessons I feel like you probably just have to learn when you're starting painting and have too big of a vision for what your skills are at. And it's quite a bit different uh, miniature that you're working on before. You used, you know, the miniatures you worked on previously were smaller detail, more oh, yeah. refined, 28 millimeter heroic type models. Now you're dealing with something that's a larger scale model with larger flat surface areas. Yeah. And large flat surface areas are a challenge to paint and highlight. And they kind of break your I, I mean i struggle with large surface areas to this day to an extent but they break your you, you the all of those skills you've been learning for painting those smaller highlighted areas and whatnot it's completely thrown out it's it's, it's almost a completely different methodology to do larger surface areas mm. okay no yeah i'll have to i'll have to Find some more good YouTube videos to watch and, and give it a second go. So I thought I was going to have to toss out my ice pond that I started several episodes ago. Oh, no. But I am not a confident painter, but it actually is looking pretty good I've, like for a first attempt at this. So I've got it. The base of it painted, I got some resin in the pond, and I'm finding out resin is much easier to work with than I expected also. That's a nice, pleasant surprise. See, basically it's, you know, I got another layer of resin, I think, to put in the pond, let that cure, and then I'm going to ask Ben for uh, some assistance with teaching me how to get snow laid down appropriately, and then this pond should be finished. Will it ever do be on a game table more than just for a picture? I don't know, but it's been a lot of fun to work on and kind of try out. And uh, it's given me some ideas for other uh, terrain projects to do. So that's kind of what I've been up to. I will say if we actually finish, if you actually finish the whole table worth of terrain, I will definitely put that in on a batman tournament because people would totally love the idea of having playing some games and that batman returns kind of table look you know where the the penguin park is yeah yeah, yeah. i think that would my go goal, really well for that my goal was to have something like that done by uh the end of this year yeah it's taken me so many months to do one piece of it i'm gonna say my goal is to have that done for 2022 <laughs> the end of 2022. <laughs> hey, goals. 
you know? Then all of you can uh, enjoy the journey with me. We'll note that, uh, you know, while you're finding it very easy to work with resin, resin is a very toxic material to work with. And so you should definitely, anyone that's working with it, should definitely read the instructions and follow all of the safety precautions that are on the box for working with any resin products that you decide you want to work with. Yes, it is not like playing with simple green. So I will make sure, because I don't know all you listeners are interested in seeing what we're talking about, I'll make sure pictures are posted up on our blog, too, of all these hobby projects. That is pretty awesome. Let's see, it's hard to convey how awesome some of these miniature projects are until we showcase the pictures of the finished projects. So thank you so much. All right, with that, we're going to go ahead and take a break. And when we come back, we'll get back. We'll get into that gift-giving guide and talk about all of these cool products that you can buy for your, the gamers that are in your life. Hey, folks, this is the Conzi of the Most. I just wanted to take a moment to tell you about Misty Mountain Games here in Madison, Wisconsin where you can find CCGs, RPGs, board games, minis, paint and hobby supplies for your all of your tabletop gaming experience and needs. If you can't find it online, give them a phone call or swing on by their brick-and-mortar store uh, here on the east side of Madison. Don't worry, that is MistyMountainGames.com. Check them out today. And we're back. So let's dive into our Wisco Dice gift-giving guide for 2021. Our goal with this guide is to come up with games, not necessarily the hottest or the biggest or the whatever games, but games that are going to match a number of really cool categories that we see people looking for games all the time to try to find a product or a game for their gamer that likes these things. We didn't go to Board Game Geek or anything like that and just pick ones that were top rated in these categories. We created these lists ourselves. And our biggest thing we wanted to make sure is that any of these games that we're recommending, that you have a fairly good chance of actually going out and actually being able to purchase. There's no sense in us recommending a game like Battlestar Galactica from Fantasy Flight Games that's been out of print for years and years. I don't you know, maybe some people out there want to go find that copy of that at a used market or go pay a retailer like Noble Knight or $500 for that in the expansions, but that's not what we're trying to do. We want to, we want you to be able to find these games and be able to purchase them so that you can give them brand new and shrink wrap to the gamer that's in your life. So with that, let's dive into our first category. Yeah, so our first category is gather the family together. So these games are going to be games that are good for a wide age range, um, groups of four or more, uh, games that are quick to learn and maybe better for non-gamers in your life, um, more, more casual gamers. Uh, so my first recommendation here is the game Anomia. Uh, Anomia, you can find it retail for around $15 usually. Uh, it is a party card game for three to six players where players draw cards each turn and quickly face off against another player to shout out an example 
uh, that matches the category that's shown on their opponent's card before their opponent does the same. So uh, this is a fast-playing game that is great for a group that likes word games and quick thinking. It is good for people who aren't big board gamers, good for a family, and even kids. Um, So that's Anomia. My uh, second recommendation in this category is the game Wavelength. Wavelength can be found for about $40 most places. It's from developer Palm Court, who also made the party game Monikers. Wavelength is a team-based party game for anywhere from 2 to 12 players. Players take turns trying to get their team to pinpoint the position of a dial by giving clever clues. So in Wavelength, there is a physical dial that works kind of like an old-school tuner on a radio. You turn the dial, and it points to a particular location on a a kind of a half-circle. So the game gives a clue giver of one team a target location for the wavelength dial, um, and then a card defining a spectrum with two words. For example, good on the left end of the spectrum and evil on the other end. So then the clue giver has to give their team an example of something on the spectrum that will get their team to tune in to the exact wavelength of the target on the dial. So say the target wavelength was all the way on the right side of the spectrum and their spectrum they're using was good and evil. In order to get their team to guess something that's all the way on the right side of the spectrum, so like the most evil, they might give a clue of the devil. And then the team is going to kind of discuss and argue about where exactly to place the dial to try to tune into that to that wavelength given that they know that the spectrum is good and evil and the clue they got was the devil the team again agrees collectively where to set the wavelength dial based on the clue they got and then checks whether how close they got to the target location and then the closer they are the more points they get and at the end of the game the team that racked up the most points is going to win. Wavelength is a great crowd pleaser. Uh, it works really great with big groups, and it's just a fun party game for any kind of gamer. So continuing with this category, we'll dive into the ever-popular, extremely popular Quacks of Quinlanburg. Quacks is really, a, at, at its core, it's a push-your-luck game where you're going to collect various tokens, put them in your bag, and then create remedies by drawing these tokens out of your bag and placing them in your pot. But be careful, you if you put too many of the wrong ingredient in your pot, it will explode. Thus the push your luck element. Rules are fairly straightforward. It's easy to pick up, it's easy to teach, and you can play it with a uh, player group. I think it's two to five players, so it's a great uh, slightly more board gaming game in this list so far of games, but also a great game that the family and the kids will love because there's nothing that'll get get the kids at the table teeing or maybe even a grandparent than when somebody else's pot explodes and they exclaim that ah exploded. That's Quacks of Quinlanburg. 
Another brilliant game that's great for the family is The Crew, The Quest for Planet Nine, or the more recent The Crew Mission uh, Deep Sea. Both of these games are from Cosmos. They are at their core a trick-taking game, so particularly people like grandparents, but all sorts of generations are very familiar with trick-taking games, card games like this. This game plays on that, but it has a nice twist where it's cooperative. So instead of playing and seeing who can collect the most tricks at the table, and that person's probably going to be the winner because of the game mechanics, this game is all about cooperatively trying to figure out how to win, who to who to get to win tricks, and to get to win tricks with certain patterns or numbers or whatever in them, so that you can succeed missions and go on to the next uh, the next level of the game where the uh, trick taking gets more and more challenging. But you're trying to manage that as a, as a group. Great games, really love them and very much enjoy them. Uh, both of these and all of these games in this list are all great games, and they're great to get the entire family to the table. Our second category in our gift giving list uh, for 2021 is for board game addicts. So these are going to be more unique games and newer games that have released in in 2021. So I'm going to start this category off with the recommendation of Maglev Maglev Metro. Maglev Metro is from Bezier Games, and it retails for around $70. It is a futuristic-themed pick-up-and-deliver-an-engine-building game with really super high-quality components. In the game, players lay track for their Maglev trains using stackable transparent plastic hex tiles. The trains move along these tracks to pick up human and robot passengers and then deliver them to their desired stations which will score points for the successfully delivered passengers in a variety of ways. Players also improve their trains with the robot passengers, which they can arrange on these nice two-layer player boards, and that allows them to kind of change the strength or number of actions that the player can take on their turn. Megalob Metro has a really unique style and I think would especially appeal to gamers who like really high-quality components. My second recommendation in this category for Board Game Addicts is Praga Caput Regni. This came out in late 2020, but I mostly consider it a 2021 game. It is from Rio Grande and Delicious Games and can be found for about $75 retail. Uh, Praga is a fairly complex Euro game with a wide array of interconnected gameplay mechanics. In the game, players assist in the development of the city of Prague and its key landmarks, like the St. Vitus Cathedral, the Hunger Wall, and the Charles Bridge. Uh, this game is full of different mechanics. There's rondels, there's multi-use action tiles, there's technology tiles to improve your actions, there's city building tiles with adjacency bonuses, there's eggs that you use to build a wall, all kinds of stuff. I could go on. But really, this is a big game for a board gamer who loves Euro games of a heavier variety. That's Praga Caput Regni. And then uh, my my last recommendation for your board game addicts for 2021 is 
The Lost Runes of Arnak. It's from CGE. You can find it for about $60 in a ton of places. I think this is a pretty easy recommendation at this point. Lost Runes of Arnak is a game that we've all had a lot of fun with this year. It is fun. It's thematic. It has very smooth gameplay with a lot of interesting choices for players to make. There's good replayability. And it has this cool mix of worker placement and deck building mechanics. I think just about every kind of board gamer can find something to like in Lost Ruins. There's also the upcoming Leaders expansion to look forward to, which is due to release this year still. may even be out by the time this episode releases. And I'll just point out, if you want to hear more about the Lost Ruins of Arnak, just go back and check out Wisco Dice episode 81, where we do a review of Lost Ruins of Arnak. Thank you, Justin. We're going to change gears a little bit here. And instead of looking at newer games, we're going to take a trip down memory lane and check out some game recommendations that are a little bit nostalgic, uh, new classics, or games that are based on movie and characters from our childhood. So we're going to age ourselves a little bit here, too. So first one up is one of our favorite movies, or I guess, uh, I don't know if it's Justin's favorite movie or not, but The Princess Bride by Ravensburger Games. This one retails for about $40. In this game, you it's a cooperative game where you and the other players are playing as heroes in the story, and you are working through the six chapters in Princess Bride to advance the plot and tell the entire story so that true love can be found at the end. So each chapter is re represented by a new board in this book that is the game board. You're working and controlling these characters as they progress through here and as the grandson interrupts. So it's very thematic and you do, do feel like you are playing inside the movie. After Princess Bride, we are going to take a look at Back to the Future. Uh, this game by Funko Games retails for about $30. And uh, this is another cooperative game. Uh, each player is going to take on the role on one of the major characters in the game. And you are trying to have your characters move through and around Hill Valley in 1955 to collect all the items that you need to fix the DeLorean time machine. Uh, defeat Biff, and also make sure that Marty's parents fall in love. So again, very heavily based on what happens in the movie. So once you accomplish all of this, then you can take that DeLorean to 88 miles per hour and get out of 1955 before the clock uh, before the clock tower strikes 10:04. So it is. Definitely a more challenging cooperative game that we are finding than Princess Bride, but still very thematic and a lot of fun to play if you are a Back to the Future fan. So King Domino is next on this list here. This is by Blue Orange Games and retails for around $18. There are some expansions and variations on this game uh, that you can also get with it. This is Dominoes with a Twist. We all grew up playing Dominoes or seeing it played. Uh, so this is just taking it a step further. You select a domino to connect to your existing kingdom, making sure 
that the images match up, whether it's, uh, you know, the same mountain terrain type or another terrain type. And then based on who picks first and the order keeps rotating uh, based on which domino that you picked on your turn. And then you score points after the at the end after you've completed a five by five grid uh, based on the number of connecting tiles you have and how many crown symbols you have in each of these regions. So this is a game that is quick to learn but it's just that next step up from dominoes and there is also I'm going to mention there is a kids version of it that my nieces seem to really enjoy. So if you have some kids under the age of six and you want to play a game with them that adults will find just as fun as the kids, try Dragomino too. So then do you want to talk about some other nostalgic games? Yeah, so let's talk about Cribbage, the uh, that you play with a normal deck of cards and you have that funky board. And here's what's really awesome is for the gamer that's in your life that likes cribbage there are so many varieties of cribbage boards out there that are available that you can really kind of go to town i think one of our most memorable cribbage boards that we own is one that we picked up in door county here in wisconsin it's a you know the little peninsula on on the state if you're looking at the map of the state where it's beautiful kind of very rural countryside and in a great place to go for a vacation, but we got it. And it's like this topological map of that area uh, with the lakes and whatnot. And, but it's also a functional cribbage board. So it's a beautiful piece of art that we can hang on the wall as well as uh, use for actually playing the game. So that's cribbage is a, a great represent, a great game here. And it's super easy to pick up and buy a deck of cards, you know, even a inexpensive cribbage boards, you know, within six to fifteen dollars. So you're you're not it's not a big spender. Another big game that's a classic because trains are always classic. This something that I grew up with trains. I grew up with the idea of model railroading. I grew up with the idea of potentially someday being an engineer. You know, as a kid, you see these things and well translating that into the board game and the tabletop gaming experience with what is now become vast becoming a classic in the board game field ticket to ride by days of wonder you're going to be able to pick this up for right around that 55 dollars msrp price point what's really nice about ticket uh, days of uh, ticket to ride is that it has so many different versions out there if this is the first time that you're picking it up and your your friend is not necessarily a big gamer, the base ticket to ride is a great way to start. But if you're getting it for the gamer that's a little more into gaming and wants something a little bit more rich and mechanically complex, the ticket to ride Europe expansion is uh, is a great standalone. You only have to buy that box. You don't have to buy any other extra stuff, and they can and they can play it and. All it is is really a set collection game. You're getting sets of cards that you're going to then use to place your little trains on on the board to represent routes that you have constructed. And when you complete certain routes, you will stamp tickets as complete so that you and those tickets will count towards victory points. Placing the trains on the board to complete those routes is going to score you points. There's other um, other potential ways to score points, such as having the longest route, basically from 
one side maybe of the board to the other where all your all of your various little routes are connected that's another way to score points there's lots of ways to score points but at the at the end this is a fairly simple set collection game great game it plays very well it's a family game but also i still super enjoy getting it to the table for it's easy to learn and understand the rules but has for me uh, that nostalgia and feel of playing a train game and yet always seems no matter what every time i play it even though i generally do pretty well at it i don't necessarily win so there's that great replayability there all right so moving on to some more brain bender games these are going to be games we feel are a bit crunchier or have some more intense strategy to them one that we love at our house is gaia project this one it retails for about a hundred dollars right now it is very similar to terra mystica if you're familiar with that game except this one is set in space and who does not love a space game so this one also scales very well so you can play with two players you can play with four players it's a great gaming experience so you have seven different factions that are competing to terraform planets into to be habitable you know environments for their races so you're flying around terraforming planets trying to keep your opponent from doing the same so it's a fun game that way and then next up we have star wars rebellion by fantasy flight games this is retailing for about 90 dollars right now so for all you star wars fans out there even if you're not star wars fans as long as you have an idea of what uh the galactic empire or the rebel alliance do you can play this game and enjoy it one of the great things about this game is it can be an all-day gaming marathon <laughs> for one of those rainy days or in wisconsin those days where it snowed so much you can't go anywhere so you commanding your troops and going through the the systems to conquer and hold on to different outposts so in each side has different win conditions so you play very differently than your opponent so uh, if you're the empire you know that you're going to play just like the empire is in the movie versus the rebels that you're trying to you know go around and hide and everything so it's a very fun game it is not a quick game but it's definitely worth the time that you invest into it moving on to a much shorter game than rebellion is photosynthesis <laughs> it's a tough word to say i guess uh this is by blue orange games and is retailing for about 40 dollars. there is an expansion for it out there that you can get this game has a simple concept but it gets crunchy when you are trying to plan not just your current move, but two, three moves ahead, and also how your moves are gonna affect your opponent. You're trying to make sure your little saplings have enough light to grow into the big giant trees that you need them to be before you harvest them. And while you're doing this, the sun is moving around the board. So at different areas during the game, you may have light and be able to grow or you may be shaded by other trees or by your opponent's trees 
Moving on, the last one in this category is Azul by Plan B Games. This one's retailing for $40, and there are, I believe, three current versions of this out there, soon to be a fourth. All are equally fun. We own everything that's out there, I believe. This is a tile drafting game uh, where you need to be thinking about what tiles you are going to draft, where you are going to store them, and what rows and columns you are going to finish to maximize your points, and also which tiles you may want to draft to, uh, to keep your opponents from obtaining them. You need to get specific patterns, you need to score points by, you know, placing the patterns down in order so that the you have a chain effect uh, and can increase the points that you earn with the placements. And it's a lot of fun and it does make you think. At the same time, it's not going to completely drain your brain, but you play it enough times, your brain will get a good workout. All right, and then la our last category. This is going to be a little bit of a divergence from the board game genre into uh, something that's also very near and dear to our Wisco Dice hearts, and that is the miniature tabletop hobby and accessories. So I'm just going to note here and caveat that if you're trying to shop for your miniature gamer purchasing them miniatures unless they have a specific very specific request that they told you to go buy for them is probably not your best plan if they're like me they probably already bought it and just haven't gotten around to building it yet so rather than buying them more miniatures because also they probably don't need more to add to their backlog of things that aren't painted yet. There are a couple of essential things that I think every miniature hobbyist needs that they will love that you put in there under the Christmas tree for them. First, high quality paint brushes like the Windsor and Newton Series 7, particularly the size 1, size 0, and size triple zero brushes are great. These brushes retail for somewhere between $10 to $15 each. You can find them pretty easily on Amazon and other retail and, and a few other retailers like that online. Maybe you're really lucky and your local game store carries them. But uh, don't settle for, you know, don't get them a Citadel brush or anything like that. Getting them something like the, the Sable or a Windsor & Newton or a couple of Windsor & Newtons goes, goes a long ways. I can say for myself, having used my Windsor & Newton brushes, they are amazing. And when well taken care of, will last way, way, way longer than the brushes I had been pre purchasing previously, including brushes that you can get at the game store. The other thing that I think is really a, a great gift to give to your miniature hobby hobbyist in your life is to give them a product it's called the master's brush cleaner and preserver and comes in a little plastic uh what looks like a little plastic tin 
and you open it up, and it's basically a container of of soap that's specially formulated for cleaning brushes. And this is really nicely paired. It doesn't cost that much. I think the something like five to seven bucks for the little tin of that I have, or the little plastic round thing that I have, and will last them an extremely long time. And I've I've been able to use it repeatedly to get to get crusted paint that's in a brush out of a brush even after it sat for a day or two you just get the brush wet you twist it in this soap thing a few times and rinse it out and then do it a couple more times and it's amazing how much paint and gunk just comes out even a brush that you think is clean how much gunk comes out of that brush when you go through and use this product it really is surprising and it's by far the best product I've ever per- found or purchased to be able to keep your br- your paintbrushes clean. So those are a couple of great products that you can pick up that aren't going to be more miniatures for your miniature hobbyist uh, when it comes to the holidays. And with that, that gets us through all of our topics. So we do really want to thank you guys for listening and and keeping up with everything we've talked about today. And on today's show, we've actually went through our games that we have been playing recently. Just remember Whirling Richcraft and Tiny Towns and how awesome those sounded. We went through our hobby corner. We talked about all sorts of things like how to... Uh, strip your miniatures and that Konzi probably shouldn't take on any more commission painting projects. And then we talked about this great gift giving guide for the holiday season. We hope you find it helpful. If there were games or products that you didn't, that we didn't talk about, please reach out to us on social media, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or even on Pinterest and let us know if you did find this useful. Let us know as well. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you leave a review of this show wherever your favorite place is to find podcasts. Oh, and by the way, give us a like on our Facebook page. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Pinterest while you're at it. If you haven't looked recently, make sure you catch up on the blog at wiscodice.com. Hey, Brian, what's that site? Ah, darn. I forget. Uh, Justin, what's our website again? Wiscodice.com. That's right, it's whiskodice.com. And until next time, everyone, peace out.